All right, somebody say fight or flight. Well, we are in our series, Fight or Flight. And how many of y'all were here last week when we talked about David's big fight? Man, we, we got into David's fight. We were slaying Goliath last week. And this morning, we're going to talk about another man's fight. Uh, throughout this whole month, we're talking about fights from the Bible that we can apply in our own life, how they fought the giants and the enemies they were facing, how they won. And uh, the people who ran away from a fight, God had called them to, to actually fight for. And I want to tell you today, God has called you to fight the good fight of faith. So we've got a, a, a scripture for our, our, key, our key theme for this series. On your bulletin, if you'll tear off the back side of it, there's a scripture at the top where it says fight or flight. And that scripture is 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. And this is what Paul told Timothy. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Aren't you thankful for the Word of God? Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And this morning we're going to talk about fighting that fight. Hey, one thing I want to let you know about, Word Explosion is going to be amazing. This year we're bringing some new speakers who've never spoken at Victory, but they're speaking all over the world. They're changing cities. Two of the fastest growing Hispanic churches, those pastors are coming to the conference. They speak English too, in case you were wondering. And so they're going to, they are fireballs. Uh, that's Benny Perez, Sergio De La Mora, and then Robert Madu is coming back to Victory. Stoked about that. John Hagee's coming back. John Bevere. Brian Houston. He hasn't been to Victory since 1999, and so many amazing things have happened at Hillsong, and so we're excited to have him come back and preach the word. And then, of course, Dr. Billy Wilson, ORU president. We're excited to have him, and uh, just, it's going to be a, a powerful conference, so don't miss any of, of Word Explosion. Make sure you mark your calendars. Also, this Saturday, we've got a free legal workshop. If you're interested in getting legal counsel right here at 10 a.m., you can get all of that. We're bringing in judges from the city and different uh, people who can help counsel you in that right here. Why don't you stand on your feet this morning as we say our confession. If you're a first-time guest to Victory, we welcome you. Let's welcome all the first-time guests once again. Thanks for joining the family. We have fun at Victory. We get excited about what God's doing. And you know, no matter what you're facing, you're in the right place this morning. You've got victory today. And every Sunday, we say a confession right before the message. It's a confession of faith, a declaration of hope, a declaration that God's not done with us. And so we invite you to say this with us. If you're new to victory or maybe you haven't been in a long time, we're going to put it on the screen. We're going to say it on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. God, we thank you for victory. Lord, we thank you this morning for grace, for courage, God, for strength that we would leave today different than how we came in. God, help us to leave refreshed, encouraged, strengthened, revived, renewed, God, that our eyes would be put back on you. Lord, that when we leave today, God, that we would be able to face the things you've called us to fight against, the things you've called us to fight for. And Lord, I thank you that we would hear your voice today. We would feel your presence as we already have. Continue to move in this place. Let us, uh, God, just experience more of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. All right, as you're being seated, give someone a high five, a hug, or take a selfie with them. I know you wanted to do it anyways. Hey, um, as you're doing that, let me just say this. Last week, 
an awesome guy from this church who got saved just two months ago, got baptized just a month and a half ago at our church. He walked up and he gave me this staff and he carved in it, God loves you on one side, Jesus loves you on the other side. His name is Craig, that's a picture of him right there. How many of y'all heard Craig's testimony by video a few weeks ago we shared? If you missed it, it's on YouTube, type in Victory Tulsa, you'll, you'll get to see it. But you know the thing I love, what Craig said, he said, Paul, this church has taught me that God loves us, no matter our past junk or even our present junk. God loves us. And church, I just give that to y'all as a compliment. Thank you for showing the love of God to everybody around you. Thank you for loving people while they're walking through things. Thank you for showing the love of God. This last week, I also met another guy named Kevin, and he was wearing a t-shirt that just inspired me. The t-shirt said, this is what cancer cannot do. And when I saw it, I thought about our series, Fight or Flight, and I loved what it said. It says, cancer cannot, cancer is so limited, it cannot cripple love, it cannot shatter hope, it cannot kill friendship, it cannot eat away peace, it cannot corrode my faith, it cannot reduce my eternal life, it can't quench the spirit, it can't destroy my confidence, it can't shut out insecurities. I wanna tell you today that whatever you're fighting against, you've got victory over it. And that man is a cancer fighter and survivor. And I'm looking at a lot of people in this room that are fighters. How many of you guys say, I'm a fighter? God has called you to fight for something, but the devil wants you to take flight from it. See, the fight or flight response is exactly what it is. It's a response. That when you're faced with a threat or a fear or some sort of battle, something that God wants you to conquer, you either fight it or you run from it. You take flight from it. And this month, we're talking about the things that God's called you to fight for, the things that God's put in your heart to fight. I remember for me, let me pass this rod off so that way I'm not looking at it the whole time. This is an awesome rod. Thank you, Mom. I'm glad to have my mom back from Israel and all the team safe and sound. Tonight, come back. We're going to have a worship night. She's going to help out with worship. going to be a powerful time here at 6. But I think about when God first called me to start speaking. It was a fight. It was scary. It was a threat. I wanted to run from it. In fact, my dad called me up to speak one time just to share a testimony when I was a, a kid, teenager, and I got so nervous, my throat like, started, like I didn't, couldn't get words out, and I was on stage, and I was so embarrassed that I couldn't say anything, I literally ran off the stage to the bathroom and started crying. And I was like, God, I don't wanna speak. I'm so shy, I'm so embarrassed, I'm so weak. This is not my calling. And sure enough, God called me to speak. And the thing that God's called you to do may be uncomfortable, may be inconvenient, may be difficult, but God's called you to fight to see the victory in it. God's not called you to run away from what he's called you to fight through and for, to stand for. You know, I think about how all of us have things we're called to do. I remember when God called me to start leading worship and when I was uh, about 16, I, I led my first worship song in, in front of my classmates at school and I had been practicing, working hard and, and during that time I was going through puberty, still going through puberty a little bit and that's why this big screen bothers me because I get pimples sometimes and I'm like, God, you know, and, and I felt so insecure, so inadequate and, and I remember getting up there and getting up to lead the song and right when I opened my mouth, my voice cracked. It was like, ah, you know, and it was like so, I, found, I sounded like a donkey and, and all the people started laughing at me and my brother laughed at me. He was like, I'm embarrassed and I, I would be too, I would be too and I remember saying, God, why, why do you want me to do this? I feel like I'm the wrong 
guy. Have you ever felt like you're the wrong guy, the wrong person for something God's called you to fight for? Well, you're not the first one. In fact, in the Bible, anyone God chose to use faced the fear of, I just don't think I can fight this. I don't think I can overcome this. Whether it was Moses or Esther, Joshua. But today I wanna talk about the story of Gideon. This week, God just started downloading this message in me on the fight that Gideon was called to fight. Gideon was a guy in the book of Judges, uh, chapter six, that God had begun to speak to, that God began to call out and God began to stir a fight in Gideon. So if you have a Bible, go to Judges chapter six. Come on, baby. Judges chapter six, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, we just said a lot, and you might be wondering, well, what does that have to do with my life? That one scripture tells a lot about Gideon. During that time, Israel had been seized. It had been uh, taken over, taken captive by the Midianites. They had not had a leader in a long time, and the Israelites had stopped following God, stopped obeying God. They were hiding from the Midianites, and the Midianites were taking water, they were taking food, they were trying to deplete Israel of all they had. In fact, the spirit of the enemy that was coming against Israel was an intimidating, dominating spirit. It was a python spirit trying to choke the life out of Israel. And during times of great difficulty, God always looks for a leader. During times of crisis, God's always searching for a man. Is there a man willing to fight? God's always searching for a woman like Deborah or Esther, whoever it is that would be willing to stand up and fight. So God shows up to Gideon, and Gideon was hiding food from the Midianites because he knew if they saw his food, they would take it, and it would continue to suck the life out of Israel. And so Gideon's hiding, and all of a sudden, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Yes. <laughs> Three amens. That's about how it sounded for Gideon. It was like the angel said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And it was crickets. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Gideon's like, I think you got the wrong guy. Like, you showed up to the wrong house. I don't know who you're looking at. What are you talking about, mighty man of valor? I'm not who you think I am. In fact, Gideon gets so upset when the, when the angel says this. This is Gideon's response. In verse 13, Gideon says, oh my God, if the Lord is with us, why has all this bad stuff been happening to us? And Gideon begins to play the blame game. And the first point I want us to take away from Gideon's fight is number one, stop the blame game. Stop the blame game. See, here's the thing, Gideon at this point is frustrated. He's had unmet expectations, he's disappointed by his surroundings, he's discouraged by the environment he's in, and he's looking for someone to blame, and so he starts blaming God. And all of us in this world are tempted to blame somebody, whether it's to blame your ex, blame your dad, blame your wife, blame your husband, blame your supervisor, your boss, your brother, your aunt, your uncle. All of us wanna blame somebody, but here's the truth. Blaming somebody, even if we win the blame game, we still lose the fight. Because the fight is not winning the blame game. The blame game is a distraction from the real fight God's called you to fight. I could argue with my wife deciding whose fault it was for whatever it is that I'm arguing with, and even if I won that it was her fault, I'm still left with an unresolved problem. 
Gideon could prove that maybe it was someone's fault. Maybe, maybe something bad happened. But even if he won that argument of the blame game, he would still be left with a problem that there's Midianites intimidating the Israelites and God is looking for someone to fix the problem, not find someone to blame. God's looking for someone to step out of the blame game and say, you know what? It's not the Democrats' fault, the Republicans' fault, the politicians' fault. It's my responsibility to get involved and change this city and change this nation and change this state. We could talk blame game 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Our nation's incredible at playing the blame game. We've got news channels that all they do is play the blame game. Let's point fingers. Whose fault is it this time? And you know what God's saying is, how about I find a man or a woman who quits pointing fingers and starts getting in the game to change the nation? Someone who will step up. Gideon's throwing out all these blames. It's your fault. You did this. And God says, yeah, but I want to be the answer. You're looking at me like I'm the one who caused the problem. God's not your problem. God is not your problem. In fact, Gideon was so blinded by the blame game that he couldn't see God was actually the solution. God wasn't the one who caused the problem. He was the one coming to bring the answer. And if we're going to fight the good fight of faith, we're going to have to stop blaming everyone and everything and realize God's not my problem. God's the answer to my problem. God's not the one who brought this enemy into my camp. God's the one that's going to help me drive this enemy out. But you got to stop playing the blame game. It says that Gideon continued to say, God, why why weren't you here? Where were your miracles? The Lord, you forsook us, you delivered us. And I want to tell someone today, you might have walked away from God, but God has not walked away from you. You might have given up on God, but God's not given up on you. That's that's why you're in church today. Someone is praying for you to hear this message today. That's why you're watching this online or on TV or on the radio today. God had a plan for you to hear this message because no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your past is or your present is, God says, I'm still with you. I'm not your problem. I'm the answer to your problem. I'm not your enemy. I'm the answer to defeat your enemy. I've come to strengthen you, mighty man of valor. Finally, Gideon starts to see it. Okay, all right. Well, God, you're you're the answer. And and so here's what happens next. Verse uh, 14, the Lord turns to Gideon and, and he says, hey, Gideon, go in this might of yours and you will save the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not anointed you? Have I not sent you? Have I not appointed you? And number two, what we should learn from Gideon's fight is to stop making excuses and see God has anointed you to fight. No more excuses. God has anointed you to fight. Immediately when God tells Gideon, you're gonna be the one. I've appointed you. I've anointed you. I've called you to fight. God's anointed you to fight, whatever you're fighting. You know, I... Last week, I pointed out all the fights that are happening in this room. And I want to just stop for a moment. Because you might be wondering, what is this fight about? All over this room, whether you believe it or not, everyone is fighting something. Everyone is fighting something. Right beside you, people are fighting addictions. People are fighting cancer. People are fighting leukemia. People are fighting lifestyle issues. People are fighting for their marriage. People are fighting for their family. People are fighting for their kids. People are fighting uh, against fear, what they're seeing on the news. People are fighting all over this room. People are in a fight. And we can see behind me, there's all kinds of things. People are fighting to get employed. People are fighting to stay alive. 
Singles in the room fighting to stay pure. Married people in the room fighting to stay pure. Fighting to, to know who you are. Fighting for integrity, honesty. Fighting against persecution in the workplace. Whatever your fight is, just know this. You've been anointed to fight. God says, I anointed you to defeat whatever fight you're fighting. But Gideon starts making excuses. He says, he looks at God. Verse 15, he says, <laughs> Gideon has a, an oh my Lord problem. We don't say that in our house. But Gideon keeps saying oh my Lord. And, you know, he says, OMG, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest clan in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. And honestly, I can relate a little bit with Gideon. Because when God called me to start pastoring, I said, God, I'm the youngest in my family, the weakest in my family. I'm the least likely. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not adequate enough. And I want you to think about what your excuse is because every one of us in this room has an excuse we like to throw at God. Gideon had the weak excuse. Gideon had, I come from the wrong family. What is your excuse? Turn to the person next to you and say, what's your excuse? <laughs> Because all of us have an excuse. I'm too uneducated. I'm too unqualified. I, I come from the wrong family. No one in my family's graduated college. I, I'm too bad. I've got too much baggage. I, I'm carrying way too much past problems for God to use me, for me to win this fight. And Gideon throws all these excuses. And I want to tell you today, God has a remedy for every excuse you throw at him. For every excuse you throw at God, God says, yeah, but I am with you. Yeah, but I am for you. You may feel weak, but I am strong. You may feel unqualified, but I am inside you. God has a remedy, a scripture for every excuse you throw at him. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're faced with something that you just keep making excuses about. And God's called you to fight. And he says, no more excuses. I've anointed you to fight. God told Gideon, have I not anointed you? Surely, verse 16, I will be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. Turn to the person next to you, you got what it takes. There was a man named Oscar who was a womanizer. He was an alcoholic, heavy drinker. Oftentimes would get into fights, a very wealthy businessman, but just a, a lousy integrity, just had a lot of junk going on in his life with women and all kinds of stuff at the bars. And Oscar began to, uh, began to hurt for a group of people in his country. He, he was in Germany. He was a wealthy businessman. And during that time, the Jews started being persecuted by Hitler. And God was looking for someone who would stand in the gap and save these Jews from a holocaust that was happening to save some Jews from gas chambers that were uh, being filled with people just stacked into trains. And, and this young man, this Oscar, he, he started thinking, God, maybe you could use me. I don't know. I've got a bad past, but maybe you could use me. And God used Oscar Schindler. We know the movie Schindler's List, a man who saved 1,200 Jews from the Holocaust, all because he stopped making excuses and he started seeing that he was anointed to fight that fight. There was another man named Kurt who... Loved to play sports, and at the same time, he just didn't have any good breaks, and he got married after college to a, a woman who had two sons, a single-parent mom, and he adopted those sons as his own. They started having more kids, and during the night, he would work at a, a, a supermarket where he would stock shelves, and he got paid $5.50 an hour, and Kurt continued to hold on to the dream, working out in the morning, thinking, maybe one day I could play sports. He ended up walking on to an arena football team in his hometown. Hardly anyone would come to those games. 
And he would work hard in that arena football team for a few years until one day someone noticed him from the St. Louis Rams. They picked up Kurt Warner. They decided, Kurt, we're going to put you as a third string quarterback. During the second season in the NFL, the first string quarterback, the starting quarterback, got injured. They were looking for someone for a specific set of skills. The second guy was the wrong guy to put in for the play. They put in Kurt. He ended up taking the team that season, winning every game from that point forward, taking them to the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl. We know Kurt Warner as a man who decided to stop making excuses and start fighting. You know, the thing about Kurt that I love is that he gives God all the glory. Every part of his season, he said, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. He used his platform to point glory to God. The fight that you're fighting is for God's glory. The reason why God loves choosing ordinary people to do extraordinary things is because he wants to get the world's attention to say, it was me. It wasn't, it wasn't Oscar. It wasn't Kurt. It wasn't you. It was God. God specializes on picking the people that no one in the world would choose. Unlikely heroes. Gideon, Esther, Moses. He loves choosing the people. George Washington lost two-thirds of his battles in the American Revolution. He, he went on to eventually win the war and become the first president of the United States. Napoleon graduated 42nd in a class of 43 students. Then he went out and conquered Europe. <laughs> Brilliant. Billy Graham said he was asked to preach his first sermon, and he said, I had four sermons prepared. I was so nervous I preached all four of them in less than 10 minutes. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the pain. Can you imagine, though, if Billy would have said, man, I'm no good at this. The world would have missed out on one of the greatest preachers. You need to know that failure is not final. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're walking through, and all the excuses you might throw at God, God says, I've got a remedy for that. I've got a scripture for that. Every problem that you're facing, God says, I can help you fight through that and defeat that. You know, I think about in the Bible, you might say, well, those are people that, yeah, in history, but in the Bible, God, God used like special people, anointed people, people who were already qualified to do what they were to do. I got news for you. <laughs> Noah was a drunk, Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson had long hair and he was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, David was an adulterer and a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. What's your excuse? God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if that doesn't speak to you, it speaks to me. Because every week I face the fear, the intimidation that maybe I'm not the best at this. Maybe, God, you had someone who was better, but, Lord, you chose a weak person so that you would be made strong. Lord, you chose the least likely so that you would get the glory because it's all his glory. It's only through his Holy Spirit that we can defeat the giants that are facing us. And here Gideon was facing a huge army. I mean, the Midianite army, they said, was as big as the sands on the seashore. And here the Israelites were much smaller. And Gideon came from the smallest clan in the smallest nation facing a massive army.
He said, God, are you sure I'm the right guy? I mean, I just don't feel like I've got what it takes. Next, we can learn from Gideon number three that there will be pain in your fight. There will be pain. God promises that we will have pain. That's an encouraging word right there. (laughs) But I think sometimes we run from pain. We take flight because we think pain is bad. Pain's from the devil. But not all pain is bad. God uses pain to purify your character. God doesn't cause the pain, but he knows how to use the pain to make you into the man and the woman he's called you to be. Gideon does what God asks him to do. He stops making excuses and God says, Gideon, I want you to destroy the idols in your dad's house. And so we look in in Judges chapter uh, six, verse uh, 28. It says that uh, after Gideon had destroyed the idols in his father's house, the men came out in the town. They said, who did this? Who, who broke down the idols? And they were looking for someone to blame because they wanted to kill somebody. And they began to investigate. The only people who would know that Gideon did this were his buddies because the night before, Gideon said, I'm going to do this in the dark so that nobody knows and I'm choosing my friends in my father's house. So he got his close group of friends to do this thing in the night. The only ones who would know would be the people closest to him and yet they were the ones to betray him in that moment. They said, Gideon's the one who did it. And all the people in the town were ready to stone Gideon. In fact, they threw him at his father's porch and they said, okay, your boy's the one who did this. We're gonna kill him. Sometimes pain comes from the most unexpected places. For David, right after he slayed Goliath, his mentor, his hero, his father-in-law was the first one to throw a spear at him. Sometimes pain comes from the people who are closest to you. Even Jesus had a Judas. Sometimes we want to think that everything's going to be perfect when we choose to follow Jesus, but Jesus says there will be pain. There will be trial. There will be storms. There will be trouble, but take heart. You're not the first one to go through it. Take heart. I've overcome the world. You can fight through the pain. Let the pain refine you. Don't get so focused on the Judas that you miss the other 11 that are with you, for you, and fighting beside you. Keys, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. I think about how the pain that Gideon walked through. See, leaders are bleeders. I'm looking at a room of leaders, and the truth is, if you're going to lead anything, you're going to bleed at some point. It would be foolish to think we'll never experience pain as a leader. It would be foolish to think I can fight a battle and I'll never bleed. I'll never get hurt. I'll never get wounded. See, the first hardest part of a fighter is showing up to the fight. The second hardest part is getting up when you get hit before you get the victory. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Rocky, but man, that dude got hurt before he got the victory. But he kept fighting. In the last service, I called up two of my friends, Jeannie and Brian Allen, two ushers here in our church. Jeannie has been fighting cancer for the last two and a half years. The doctor said you wouldn't even make it past 18 months. Most of his patients all died in that 18 months, the aggressive cancer. It would be false to say that Jeannie's never had pain during this fight. But the truth is, during that pain, it's drawn her closer to God. God didn't cause the pain, but God's used the pain to cause Jeannie to trust more in the Lord. You're going through a fight right now, and there's pain. There's hurt. Sometimes it comes from close people people who might, you think, are supposed to cheer for you and end up betraying you. 
Don't let the blood turn into bad blood. Choose to forgive. One of the best pieces of advice my dad gave me was don't get bitter. Paul, if you don't get bitter, you'll make it. See, what happens is leaders bleed, fighters bleed, and sometimes they let the blood turn bad. They get bitter at life, bitter at God, bitter at a friend, bitter at family, bitter at people who've hurt them. And as long as you stay bitter, you can't win the fight God's called you to fight. Gideon had to move on. David had to move on. He could have got stuck. Saul, why are you doing this? But instead, David chose to forgive him. When David had a chance to kill Saul, he chose to forgive him. He said, God's fighting my fight. I've got to show up. I can't run from this. I've got to push through the pain. I've got to push through the pain. You've got to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. You've got to get used to the moments where it's inconvenient because you'll only grow to the level, the threshold of your pain. You will only grow to the threshold of your pain. You want to grow more? Raise the threshold. When my father passed, I felt like running from my calling. When we've walked through storms as a church, man, I felt like running. But God said, Paul, can I trust you to push through the pain? Because the threshold of your pain determines the level of your growth. If you can push through the pain and grow. The funny thing is Gideon had to pass that pain battle so that he could get to the next pain battle. You think that you only have one season of pain. God says, there's, there's a little bit more pain down the road, but be of good cheer. You're gonna make it. Turn to the person next to you. You're gonna make it. <laughs> what happened next was difficult. Gideon started gaining confidence. He, uh, he got thousands of Israelites to join his cause, to fight beside him. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon and all the Israelites were with him. They were early. They rose up early. They were encamped, ready to fight thousands of Israelites. They were like, okay, we can do this. We can do this. In verse 2, God says to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. Sometimes God has to subtract you before he can multiply you. We don't like to hear that. <laughs> if you're going through subtraction, be of good cheer. Multiplication is just around the corner. Thank you, Jesus. If you feel like you're down to nothing, God is up to something. You say, Paul, I just feel like, I, feel like I'm losing. See, God takes us on detours. I like A and I like Z. I'm not a huge fan of LMNOP. I wanna fly from Tulsa exactly to the destination I gotta get to, but oftentimes I gotta fly from Tulsa to Dallas, Dallas to Chicago, Chicago to Atlanta. It feels like I'm going backwards to the place that I'm supposed to be going to, but God says sometimes I gotta pull you back so I can launch you further. Sometimes I gotta subtract you so I can multiply you. You may not understand the pain you're walking through, but God says this pain has a purpose for your destiny. This pain has a purpose for your destiny. And God begins to subtract Gideon. He, he says, anyone who's afraid, leave now. And 22,000 Israelites walked away from Gideon that day. Those were friends, families, people he was counting on. I was going to use that person, God. Why did you pull that person away? And God says, because I want all the glory when you win. I want all that when you win, I want the world to know it was the Lord. It is the Lord that brings the victory. Guys, this is the original 300. Watch what happens. This is, I mean, Hollywood was stealing from the Bible here. Watch what happens. God says to Gideon, I know you just lost 22,000, 
but you're still too many. I need to get you down to a little bit less. And so God says, you, you take everyone down to the water and the people who drink like this or the people who, who put their head down like that, you're gonna separate them. And there was 300 who drank the way God was counting on and God said, I want those 300. I'm gonna use those 300 to fight against that huge army. I want you to get a visual image of how big the army that Gideon was fighting against. This army was massive. They were massive. They, they covered the ends of the earth. We got a picture to show you. These, these, these people were lined up. Look at that. They were faith. 300 men were going against that army. 300. Gideon was feeling pain at that moment. He was saying, God, I don't know what you're setting me up for. This just doesn't feel like a victory. God said, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Get ready. <laughs> Number four, last point that we take from Gideon's fight. The greatest coach is in your corner. The greatest coach is in your corner. I love on the movie Rocky, when Rocky's getting hit, when Rocky's getting beat up, he goes to his corner and that coach begins to just massage his shoulders, begins to speak life over. You got this, Rocky. I'm going to give you a strategy. It's a unique strategy. And Rocky's feeling depleted. And sometimes when you're down and you can't even get in the corner, God says, slap my hand. Tag team, baby. And God gets you ready to come back. He lifts you up and prepares you for the fight that you're in. You got a tag team partner in your corner. You got a coach who doesn't give up on you. Even when you give up on him, he doesn't give up on you. Even when you walk away from him, he doesn't walk away from you. He is in your corner against that addiction. He's in your corner for your marriage. He's in your corner for your kids. He's in the corner for your college tuition. He's in the corner for your job. He's in the corner for your family. He's in the corner for that fear that's been intimidating you. He's in the corner for the dream he's put inside you. And so God tells Gideon, Gideon, I know you feel down, but you need to know there's an angel in the room. Come on, angels in the outfield. I always dreamed of seeing angels. Come on, there you go. I love it. I always dreamed of like seeing people in the church do what angels in the outfield did. I don't know if y'all ever saw that movie. That's it. You guys are fulfilling my dream right there. <laughs> yes. I love it. Some of you guys are just yawning right now. God says, Gideon, look around. Look around. Be not discouraged. I'm with you. And he says, Gideon, in verse 8, he says, if you're feeling afraid, I want you to go down to the enemy's camp tonight. Sneak down there and listen to what your enemy is saying about you. That's a prophetic word for someone in this room. I want you to listen to what the devil is saying about you because you're sitting in this service right now. Gideon is so afraid. He's so afraid. So he takes his servant. He goes down, verse 11, to listen behind the tents of the enemy. And it's nighttime. They don't see him. He's sneaking in there. He's afraid. And he wants to hear what they're saying. Now the Midianites, verse 12, and the Amalekites, all the people east, they were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And Gideon had come. There was a man in a tent telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I have a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent. It struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. 
And his companion answered as Gideon was listening, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard what the enemy was talking about, he began to worship. He got his strength back, his courage back. Listen to the sound. The enemy is trembling. Oh my gosh, there's a man in the house. What are we going to do? There's a woman rising up with faith. The enemy can't stand it when you get charged up to fight. The enemy can't stand it. They start trembling. The demons have to run. When Gideon heard that, he was encouraged. And God said, don't grab a sword. Don't grab a spear. I want you to get a trumpet. <laughs> what? I want you to get a trumpet. I want you to get a jar. And I want you to get a torch. And you're going to tell all your 300 men that are going against this million-man army to blow their trumpets, to break their jars, and lift up their torches. Can you imagine being one of the 300 when Gideon tells you this, that this is how we're going to win the war? But see, God wanted them to know, it is my victory. If you can't do this without the Lord, whatever you're facing, he says, I'm going to give you such a unique strategy that the world steps back and goes, this had to be God. Turn to the person next to you, it had to be God. As we end today, I want to invite Maria Younger up here. Maria is an incredible fighter in this church. We're going to end with her testimony. But Maria, she faced a battle that seemed so discouraging. She got a report that almost knocked her out. But she decided she was going to stand in the presence of God. She was going to get her victory. Give Maria a big hand. Maria, share what happened. Praise the Lord. God is so faithful. He has a great resume with me. Yes. <laughs> And actually what happened was in February 2010, I was diagnosed with a uterine cancer. They felt they saw a tumor on my uterus. And so I was sent to multiple, multiple doctors in town, out of town, just everywhere. And it, everywhere I went, it seemed like the report was getting worse. So when it first started, I immediately came to Pastor Sharon because, you know, it was a very shaky situation. Like, what am I going to do? And so uh, I just knew if I come to Pastor Sharon and get that power of agreement, I know yeah. that the Bible says, whatsoever two or three should touch and agree on anything, it shall be done of our Father. So I just believed that word, and I would stand fast on two scriptures. Uh, there was um, Matthew 8, 17, that said Jesus took my infirmities. He bore every one of my sicknesses and diseases. Amen. And 1 Peter 2, 24 said, by Jesus stripes. I was healed. Amen. And I just believed that word and held fast to it. I went through all the medical channels and I went through some homeopathic channels and they gave me various things and uh, to take and all the, and build up my immune system and whatever, my health. And, uh, and that was in February. And in June, that's when they told me that the tumor was totally gone off my Praise uterus. God. Praise God. Praise God. And in September, it's like I had two giants back to back. Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, growth on my thyroid. And it was so bad, they wanted to take three-fourths of my thyroid out. And uh, they sent me to the surgeon right away, and he tried to convince me to do it, but I just didn't feel led to do that. I told him, let me get some more opinions and walk through several channels. And one of the homeopathic doctors put me on a natural chemotherapy called graviola. And, and uh, actually, it, I just stayed on that, and I continued to stay on that word. And that living word is incorruptible seed. That's right. It never fails. That's how you fight. And I got uh, completely cleared in 2011. Praise God. Come on, stand up on your feet this morning. You've got victory in your future. You're in a fixed fight. No matter what you're walking through, God says you're going to walk in victory.